You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And it's so very special and significant as a church family to be reminded that we are a community and that we invest into the lives of kids as a community. So again, what a, what a rich time to do that here on this Mother's Day. And again, with it being Mother's Day once again, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers who are watching online, either live or seeing this later as a recording, and for those of you here in the room. And I hope that uh, as we begin our time in God's Word that you brought your sense of humor with you this morning on this Mother's Day, because I have a Mother's Day story to tell you that kind of introduces where we're, where we're headed here this morning. So um, many years ago, when I was a little kid, so many, many years ago, I don't really remember this conversation, but it's been told to be by my mother, but I guess we were out doing something somewhere together, and we were walking along, and it was that question that kids often ask at some point in their lives of their mother or father, sometimes both when they're together. So, mom, where, where did I come from? And my mom took a deep breath, as parents often do when they get ready to answer that question, and she said, well, son, your dad and I were out walking one day, and we saw this pile of rocks, and so we kicked over this rock, and there you were and you jumped onto my leg, and I couldn't shake you off, and so we took you home. I believed that till I was like 25, and then one day I was like, oh, that's not how it happened, right? Well, little kids are very literal. They're black and white thinkers. There's something that cognitively, cognitively happens, that physically happens in our development that as we grow, as we begin to mature from little kids into older kids, for most of us, we cross that line of being concrete black and white thinkers to being able to think abstractly. Well, as I mentioned in my Facebook sermon preview um, earlier this week, and again, just by way of reminder, any of us who are preaching, we will put up a little preview on Facebook about Thursday afternoon each week to kind of give you a primer with where we're going that coming Sunday. Anyway, when I uploaded that earlier this week, I mentioned that in this passage we're gonna see today, it looks like, at first glance, the disciples are very much black and white thinkers. They miss Jesus in a spectacular way with what he is trying to teach them. And yet, as we see, and as we will see from Jesus' response, there's far more going on there than just being black and white thinkers. In fact, what Jesus is going to reveal to us are some really significant, important realities for you and me as we think about what it means to have a growing developing, deepening faith. And so we're gonna go right to our passage. So as we prepare to do so, I'll put it up on the screen here. And just by way of reminder, if you missed last week, in the passage that precedes this one, and actually in the chapter that precedes this one, um, Pastor Gabe last week took us through that. And if you'll remember the story with me, it was the story of this Syrophoenician woman, a a non-Jew, a Greek woman, who has this desperate need because her daughter needs healing. And so in her desperation, she goes to Jesus and they have this remarkable, revealing exchange. And Jesus, one of only two times in all of the Gospels, observes from her and about her that she had great faith. 
The other example of Jesus saying that's a person with great faith was another non-Jew, another Gentile, a Roman centurion. So it's a very significant exchange that happens there. But after that, and we're just jumping over this passage, but prior to this, there's another miraculous feeding of over 4,000 people, Gentiles, all non-Jews. So it's important that we have this frame of reference that we've seen these incredible profiles of faith, which the disciples have seen firsthand, up close and personally. They've seen two miraculous feedings where Jesus feeds thousands and thousands of people, and now, now we come to our passage. So let's get right to it. So the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. And when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. And we know from the previous story, they had basketfuls of leftover bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed it among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Really? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he wasn't not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now there is a lot swimming around in this passage, so let's begin to take a look at it. And this really is a remarkable statement that the passage starts with. The Pharisees and Sadducees come together to Jesus. My friends, these are two groups who never willingly were together. They were opposites of one another in so many ways. The Sadducees, and this is an oversimplification, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, five books written by Moses. They did not believe in the spirit world or in angels or demons, and they were political opportunists. They felt like the best way to interact with Rome and the surrounding culture was to take advantage of the opportunities to advance their own causes. They were political opportunists, really. The Pharisees, in contrast, embraced the entire Old Testament as well as the oral tradition that had been handed down for centuries, which uh, we've already looked at in previous weeks. They did believe in the spirit world and the resurrection, and they felt that they needed to separate and the people should separate themselves from the Greco-Roman culture around them. Completely opposite. For these two groups to come together and unify and rally about anything was in itself a miracle. This would be like, in our paradigm, the Republicans and Democrats, Nancy and Mitch, getting together and joining forces to actually do something <laughs> together. We would all look at that and go, that is amazing. 
because of the rancor and the vitriol and the us and them and the enemy language that's constantly being seen. Well, the same was true for these two groups. And yet here they are unified and together coming to test Jesus. And this word for test is the same word for test that's used in Matthew 4 when Satan comes to test Jesus. This is not a sincere test. This is a, hey, let's see you jump through this hoop, but it's still not gonna change our minds kind of test. They're not sincere, and Jesus knows it. This has been happening. We've seen this through the progression of Matthew, and they asked him to show them a sign. My friends, they've seen tons of signs and miracles from Jesus. They've seen the healings. They've seen the evidence. It's not about a lack of evidence. It's about a lack of faith. And so Jesus calls them out. And he says, you know how to read the weather. You know how to recognize and predict the weather, but you don't know how to recognize and understand who I am, despite all that you've seen. And then he quotes what was probably a common saying that they would have all known. And we have sayings like this when it comes to the weather, do we not? Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. How did you know that? You just kind of know that, right? We, we just kind of know those things, especially about the weather, especially being Oregonians. You know, when you're talking to someone who's visiting who doesn't know our climate, you know, you'll be describing our weather, and this is usually how it goes. Well, we have usually two and a half to three months of sun in the summer, which is why we all live here, and then the fall, it rains, and then the winter comes, and it's cold rain, and then the spring comes, and it's warmer rain, and then we're back to the summer. Although, however, this has been an epic spring, has it not? It's just been beautiful. And mothers, we, we're giving you a yes. We, we like sun around here. We're giving you a week of sun. You're welcome. This coming week. I mean, it's just a really atypical, nice, warm spring. But we, unknown, we know the weather. And by and large, we know how to predict the weather. And so did they. And Jesus said, you can look at the weather and know what's coming. But you're completely missing me. And it's because you're blind. Because of your unbelief. And then he rebukes them. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign and basically says, I'm not going to give you one except one. Now, again, at first glance, we can look at this and say, boy, Jesus, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed that morning? You're a little cranky and impatient here. Not at all. This is not the first time that Jesus has talked to them about this very reality, not only about his identity, but about the sign of Jonah. For those of you who remember the progression through Matthew, we just jump back a handful of chapters here and look what happens in Matthew 12. He's talking to another group, probably the same group of Pharisees and, and religious leaders, and what does he say to them then? A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Noah. And this is a direct reference back to the Old Testament and the book of Jonah. And so he explains literally what it means. He's already explained this to them. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, right? The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something, really someone, greater than Jonah is here. The message Jonah is all about recognition of God, repentance from brokenness and selfishness and sin. And Jonah always looked to and is projecting into the future about the resurrection of Jesus. 
would have known the book of Jonah. They, they, they would have known all of this. And yet it's right in front of them and they can't see it. And as we continue on, just in this verse here, it says Jesus left them. And many commentators and scholars believe, and I, I think they're just away. This different locations. Um, Jim, do we need to go to another mic since this one keeps cutting out? Um, yeah. Okay. Can we uh, can we bring up this one? I'll just use this handheld. Can we bring up this guy? Okay. Okay. That better? Okay. Terrific. Sorry about that. So it says Jesus leaves them, but there's more here than him just going from one area to another. This is an act of judgment on his part. He's saying, I'm done with you. And rightfully so, because they've had multiple, multiple chances to see Jesus for who he is, and they refuse to do it. This is not a lack of information. This is a conscious choice on their part, and it illustrates the reality that God seems to have unlimited patience for those who are genuinely struggling and trying to figure these out, figure things out and believe, but he has limited patience for those who will not believe. And so he leaves them. And so it says at this point, the disciples begin to go across the lake, and they've forgotten to take bread. And so they talk about it among themselves after Jesus tells them and warns them about the yeast of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they come up with this conclusion that, well, it's because we didn't bring any bread. And we can look at this, and again, at face value, just like me believing my mom kicked over a rock and found me, they're, they're being very black and white and literal going, oh, and completely missing the point. But there's more going on here. And we get a better understanding of what's going on here by how Jesus responds. And again, this sounds like and feels like he's being a little cranky, but he's actually not. He's not saying they have no faith. He's saying their faith isn't working the way it should. They're missing the point, not because they're like little kids thinking black and white, but because they're not utilizing their faith the way they should. Is this really about bread? Or is this about belief? Which now begins to bring us to just some of the many pieces of application here for you and me. Because it says they finally understood after Jesus explained it to them a second time. But a growing faith is a faith that recognizes and responds to the truth. That's what the religious leaders were refusing to do. But we actually see the disciples doing this. And it starts with recognizing and responding to truth for, for what it is. Again, we saw this in the story last week that Gabe so beautifully unpacked for us. That woman knew that she needed Jesus. She was desperate. And there was a humility in how she came to him. And God loves to honor humility. And there is a certain humility that you have to do business with in order to come to God on his terms. But you see, we live in this culture where this lie is continually propagated and reinforced and, and, 
explained and defended over and over again, and this is the lie, that there is no absolute truth, or to put it another way, truth is what you make of it. Truth is relative to you. What is truth to you? And then, therefore, that is what is truth. My friends, this is the oldest lie in the book, literally. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, when God has created shalom, everything the way it was always intended to be, right relationship with him, Adam and Eve in right relationship with one another, with creation, with themselves, they buy into the lie that their truth is more important than God's truth, and Satan helps them along in that, but at the end of the day, they create and respond to and define truth for themselves, and how well does that work out for them? How well does that work out for us? Why do we have death and disease and destruction and sin and injustice in our world? It's because we have embraced our own truth. We've created our own truth. We've defined truth for ourselves. Truth is whatever voice you listen to, which then begs the question, what voice are you listening to? There are more voices broken voices, selfish voices, sinful voices, speaking into your life and mine than ever before in human history. There are more voices encouraging you to seek your own truth, define truth for yourself than ever before. And so it necessarily begs the question of you and me, whose voice are we listening to with how we define our sexuality, with how we define our personhood, with how we define our relationships, with how we define who we are, with how we define what place money and comfort and work have in our lives. And you just fill in the blank. Because, my friends, the reality is the Word of God, the Bible, has not changed, does not change, and will not change. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All truth is is God's truth, ultimately. But boy, do we live in confusing times. It's hard to know what the truth is at times because all the voices that are coming at us, which is why we go back to the Word of God and anchor ourselves in the Word of God. And it's also why the elders have decided that um, we are going to do the Jeremiah series like we were referencing once we're done with this one in September, but we're going to defer that just a little bit because we want to develop a series that we'll look at together of why we believe what we believe. And we want to spend some time deliberately equipping all of us and grounding all of us in what do we believe and why, because our culture challenges that and confronts that and questions that over and over again. So that's where we're going to be headed after this series because one of the imperatives of this is that we need to guard and guide our hearts. Twice in this passage, Jesus says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we understand this. They would have understood that and we understand that too. Here's a picture of yeast. And what does yeast do? I found out firsthand, personally, what yeast does. Many years ago, when we got our first bread maker, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do Jamie and my family a solid. I'm going to make some bread. Actually, it was pizza dough crust. I was going to make some crust for 
for a pizza. Make some pizza dough. So the recipe called for a, a packet of yeast. And I thought, well, hey, if one is good, two is better. So I put two packets of yeast in there. And a destroyed bread machine later, we had pizza crust, right? It just went everywhere. Because what does yeast do? It permeates. It spreads. It goes everywhere. It expands. And oftentimes in Scripture, when yeast is used as an example, it's used as a negative one, and that's what it's being used here. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus used it as a positive example, but here it says a negative one, that you've got to be careful with it. And what was the yeast of the religious leaders? Hypocrisy, legalism, political opportunism, defining truth for themselves, spiritual hardness, unbelief. For the Pharisees, really, if you could summarize it, and again, this is an oversimplification, but it would be morality without mercy. Because if you show mercy to someone, then you're condoning their sin, which is absolutely not true. But that was a lot of the thinking. And for the Sadducees, it was the trade of truth for what our culture today would say is tolerance. And so we see both of these at work. And the net result was the same for both groups. It blinded them to who Jesus was and to the truth of the good news of the gospel. So a growing faith is about living out a consistent faith. And again, we get insight into this with how Jesus responds to the disciples. And we've actually seen this a couple of times already where he says, you have little faith. There are four times in Matthew where Jesus will respond this way, either to the disciples or to the crowd. In Matthew 6, if you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about how God provides the flowers with everything they need, so isn't he going to provide for you? And we looked at this story together in Matthew 8 of they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I got to be in that very spot or real close to it. When we got to go to Israel, they had every reason to be scared and afraid. But he calms the storm and says, you of, of little faith. And in here in this example today, bread and yeast. And in Matthew 17, when we get there, they will be praying over a little boy and he's demon possessed and the demon doesn't come out. And then Jesus intervenes and he says, you of little faith. And they say, why didn't the demon come out? And he said, because of your faith or the lack of. But it actually wasn't the lack of faith. It was the limitation of their faith. And that's the common denominator in all these examples, the crowds, the disciples had everything they needed. They had the faith they needed in order to believe. But their faith kind of malfunctioned because it wasn't a lack of faith. It was the limitations they put on the faith that they could have already had. So it looks like, once again, Jesus is being a little impatient when he calls them little faith. He's not name-calling. He's basically saying, why aren't you acting on what you already know? And it begs the question for you and me, are you acting on what you already know? Are you living out your faith consistently? Of course we understand that our faith is going to be challenged. For some of you, your faith is being challenged today. You fill in the blank what's challenging that. Health problems, relational difficulties. Maybe Mother's Day is a, a source of pain for you for whatever reason. You fill in the blank. How do you maintain faith? How do you keep your belief and trust in God 
in the face of those kinds of things? Boy, it's a fundamental question, isn't it? And I think a big piece to answering that question is what Jesus is reminding the disciples here. What is it you already know? Do you remember how he responds to them when they come to the wrong conclusion that he's getting a little cranky about them not bringing bread with them on the journey? The point wasn't bread. The point was belief. What did you just see? How many miraculous feedings have you seen? How many thousands, really tens of thousands of people, did you see me feed? Do you really think I needed you to bring bread with us? Do you really think that's the issue? No, the issue is your trust and faith in me. And there's so much incredible imagery that's wrapped up in this, and it's a frame of reference they would have had and they would have known. Bread throughout the Bible represents the presence and power and promises of God. In Exodus chapter 16 and Numbers 11, when they're wandering in the desert and they, they call out to God for food and God provides, he gives them manna, which in Hebrew literally means what is it? Because they didn't know what to call it because they'd never seen anything like it. But it was a daily reminder of God providing for them. And then when God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle, to, to create a place where he could come right among the people where Moses and then eventually the people could meet with him through the priests who would represent them, you had these 12 loaves of bread called the show bread, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel, but also reminded them daily, visually, that God was with them through his power, through his presence, through his promises. And now the miraculous feedings, that just happened. They've seen the presence and power and promises of God. They had everything they needed to have the kind of faith that Jesus was expecting of them and calling them to. So it begs the question of you and me. What do you know to be true about God? As you remember, how has he met you? How has he provided for you? How has he come through for you? Is it possible to leverage that reality to remember in order to have faith in the here and now? That's exactly the point of this passage. What has God done? You remember that, and then you act on that. We have some tremendous opportunities for faith in this season and this next year. I am very excited to tell you about one of them. God has provided for us through some very unexpected means this last year and even most recently in the last couple weeks where, my friends, we have the opportunity to pay off the mortgage of this church by this summer because he's given us the resources to do that. We have the vast majority of the resources to do that in our bank account right now. 
because of some generous gifts, because of some unexpected provision in this last year. My friends, that's eight years ahead of what we were expecting to. What a legacy to be able to leave to our kids and grandkids and what that will mean for us leveraging resources that have gone to paying this mortgage to now other parts of our mission. And so for our ministry leaders, we will be having a... um, a lead, and I know this is short notice because all this is short notice, but we will be having a lead event um, coming up here at the end of the month in just a couple of weeks on May 25th, and you will be getting an invitation for those of you who are in some type of leadership here at Grace, and we're going to gather you together here like we do at every lead in the fall, and we're going to give you the best information we can, and we're going to solicit your input, and we're going to answer whatever questions we can of you, but my friends, this is something we want to invite you into the conversation for because it's very, very exciting. And then it's coming to the rest of you on Vision Sunday on June 5th. Then we'll take our leaders' input and hopefully disseminate this information in the clearest, best way we can, and then we're going to talk about it. And it has profound implications for where we can go this next fall. And my friends, we need to leverage the faith that God has given us to continue to live out the mission that he's individually and corporately called us to here at this church. There are a number of folks who gather on a weekly basis for prayer, and we go to various parts of our city to pray. And I was able to join the crew here a couple weeks ago, and we went and prayed over East Gresham. Showed up at the school, walked around the school. It didn't fall down, by the way, after seven times around, which we're grateful for. But we walked around there, walked around Dexter McCarty, and just prayed. Prayed for our community, but prayed for those kids, the faculty, the staff. And it caused me to think about this summer and what's ahead of us. And again, you know, we're all so tired of hearing this, but it's true. We live in such unprecedented times. But we have such an incredible opportunity because we're going to do an in-person vacation Bible school this summer. And we're going to do two sessions just like we did two years ago where we'll have an evening session and a morning session. And we're doing this as we're coming out of COVID. And there's some real challenges with that. Will we be able to gather enough volunteers from you and from my time to be able to to pull this off? Do you realize that it continues to reveal itself through statistical studies that upwards of 80% of our community still don't know the Lord? We've got a big job ahead of us. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to remember what God has done and we're going to move forward in faith and trust and put ourselves out there and take some risks and try to do everything we can to live the gospel and to preach and proclaim and live out the gospel. And so as our worship team comes and as our students come to lead us into a music worship response now, I'd like to challenge you as I challenge myself here. How does God want me to use the faith that I already have today? with whatever is in front of you and me today. As we sing this song or listen to the words of give me faith, it isn't just about asking God for more faith. It's acting on the faith that we already have. So how will we do that in our lives today? Let's think about that as we worship him together. It's been so rich to have our student ministry leading us in worship this morning, hasn't it been? Thank you so much. Thank you. 
So rich and so good. And speaking of rich and good, you know, any discussion about faith always leads me back to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, which many call the hall of fame of faith, where there's so many examples of godly men and women who have gone before us and lived faithful lives of trust with whatever God had for them. And then as you go into Hebrews 12, again, for those of you who are familiar with this, you remember with me that Paul... Um, or whoever wrote Hebrews, kind of put my card on the table there, didn't I? But whoever wrote Hebrews then goes on to say what that means for us today. And he, or she, whoever wrote that, builds this incredible picture of all these godly men and women who have gone before us, and it's like they're in the stands of this stadium cheering us on as we, as we fulfill this race. So, um, Enter this with me for just a minute as I read it to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Let me pray as we uh, end our time here this morning and go and live out what he's called us to do and be. Lord Jesus, thank you for all those who are watching this or who will watch it in the future. Thank you for those here in the room. Lord, together we declare our need for you. We acknowledge the fact that apart from you we can do nothing, but we thank you that because of your spirit within us that you can lead us in choices that honor you, that bless others, that bless you and that live out this faith that you have called us to. So, Lord, with whatever is in front of us today, would we remember your past faithfulness, how you have kept your promises to us, how we've seen your power, how we've experienced your presence, and would we go from here and now live that out to a world that so desperately needs your truth and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We love you. We thank you again for our mothers and bless and honor them today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.